The following message is brought to you by our lawyers. A Little Cerebral is a podcast documenting a conversation between a psychologist and a pediatric occupational therapist. This is intended as a conversation between two colleagues. We are not providing legal, medical, educational, or any other advice, recommendations, or treatments through this podcast. Hi, I'm Claire. And I'm Natalie. And we are a licensed psychologist and licensed school psychologist and... A pediatric occupational therapist. And we are here to talk to you about stories of kids and adolescents who have maybe some struggles with development or disabilities, and also the parents and the caregivers and the teachers and the therapists who love them and work with them. We've divided this podcast up into two parts. So the first part is focused more on stories and experiences that we have and that parents have shared with us about their child um, with special needs. And then the second part, we delve into more details about those experiences and what we would do with them clinically if you want some more information on that. Yep. I think that's it. Goodbye. So I wanted to ask you, you are in the great state of Vermont. You're no longer in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. It's true. It's true. That is all true facts. Yes. Okay. And Mm -hmm. it looks very lush and green. Yes. That is also true. Yeah. And then I think we should talk about your next trip to the Jersey Shore. The Jersey Shore. (laughs) Yeah. If there's one person. (laughs) <laughs> There's one who you think wait world. who you think would fit into the Jersey Shore? That's I think that's yeah. what you're gonna say. It's me. Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. do you want me to help you like pack? Can I give you like yes, a packing please. list? Please okay, do. I want to make sure you've done all the things you're supposed to do. Okay. Do Let's you have your? Um, yes. Do you have your suitcase full of makeup? I mean, who doesn't? Right? Am I right? Yeah. What about your tube top? Do you have your tube top? I only wear tube tops. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So then if you forget it, you'll have a bunch of other ones. What about exactly. stripper heels? Do you have your stripper heels? Um, usually for my heels, they're pretty much all stripper heels. Yeah. Okay. yeah um, got checked. And then, so then I have like a, I have like a to-do instead of a to-pack. So mm. to-do list. Did you make sure that you went and got as much filler as possible, as legally allowed in your lips before you went? Um, yes. Okay, great. I just checked, but yes. Yes, I did. Okay. Um, did you make sure that you went and, like, bought, like, excessive amounts of spray tan, got spray tanned, and then brought your own spray tanner with you? Um, yes. Okay, great. Yes, well, you're yeah. all set. I know. Thank you for the reminders, though. Very do appreciated. Actually, do you actually own any of those things I just said? Like, do you no. own like even makeup, like one speck of makeup? I do. I actually just bought some makeup. Oh, good for you. I did. I was getting my girl on. I've worn Uh it once. Uh It's pretty awesome. Um, Yeah. Okay. So So I have to say yes to that. Okay. Well, maybe you can wear your makeup. My makeup previously was literally 25 years old. And I think I'd worn it like twice. (laughs) (laughs) It was like one of those times your wedding. (laughs) Yes, it was. <laughs> the other one might have been my rehearsal dinner. Yes. <laughs> People are like, wow, you look so pretty. I'm like, yes, I brushed my hair. And also, I put on some mascara. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, I, um, you can like try your new makeup um, out when you go to the Jersey Shore. Maybe like make sure you get your face like completely ready to go before you go to the beach because it's really important. Yeah, where do you get one of those like nose splints? Maybe I'll rock that. (laughs) (laughs) They're quite expensive actually. Mm. They're wrapped into a total package price. Um, Oh, bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you want to learn about ADHD? I I sure do. Okay, great. So I'm just going to start from the beginning. Um, So I've talked quite a bit about ADHD on this podcast um, and how they're it's a um, diagnosis of ruling in and ruling out. So there are lots of symptoms of ADHD that mimic symptoms of other disorders. And so you, in addition to ruling in and saying, like, does this person meet criteria? You know, do they have the particular number of symptoms you need for a particular subtype? You also have to rule out. Um, and so that's just one thing that's really important. But basically, we used to call ADHD ADD. And ADHD, do you remember those days? 
Yes, because I was actually diagnosed with ADD. And it was around the time when ADD and ADHD were just becoming two different diagnoses, I believe. Okay. Um, because I had the ADD diagnoses, but then when I was like learning about it, I was like, this is weird. Now there's two and I don't know which one I am. And I remember that whole thing. Yeah. So, I I mean, I don't remember which DSM that would have been. My guess is it would have been four or no, maybe it's the one before DSM four. This would be in like 2005 or 2007. Probably Mm -hmm. DSM four. Um, and so now we have DSM or now we have ADHD and then we do subtypes. Um, and so we have, and actually, um, it was subtypes before with TR. Now I think it's, um, it's presentation. So you would say primarily an attentive presentation. You would say primarily, um, hyperactive presentation, hyperactive impulsive, which I mean, you like, you never just have that one or combined and combined is the most common. So if somebody has hyperactivity and impulsivity, in my experience, they also have an attention, but the converse isn't necessarily true. Mm. Um, so it's six or more of the following symptoms. So this is going to be the inattentive um, presentation, this, uh, the symptoms for that. So six or more. If you're an adult, it's actually, I believe it's five or more. So you, if so, that would be, I believe, above age 17. Um, and so they have to have persisted for at least six months to a degree that is inconsistent with developmental level. And so for that reason, it's really, really important to think about like, you know, what are other kids doing? We talked about this with the bias episode we did. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. So we want to think about like, what's actually developmentally appropriate? Not like who do you, not like which kids do you hang out with the most? And is it possible that like your, your um, perception is skewed, but rather like what is developmentally appropriate? Um, And then there has to be a negative impact. And that's, like for any of the things that are found in the DSM, um, there really has to be like an impact on your life, not just that you're displaying these symptoms. The first one is failing to give close attention to details or making careless mistakes in schoolwork, at work. So, you know, some of the examples I think of like with this is, you know, with attention to detail, it's like maybe you did most of a math problem, but you forgot to put the answer at the end. Or maybe you left out some of the punctuation or maybe you skipped like an important step. Or this is you... totally me. This is okay. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have subtypes when I was diagnosed. Not that I know of. Okay. But and this is me. So yeah. one of the things I ask about is, um, uh, so like if there's, if there's like instructions on like on a test or on a paper, if it's like all the following except, right? Like, People with ADHD, primarily inattentive or combined, they miss the accept or, you know what I mean? Like there's one little key word in there that alters what the answer is supposed to be. And so they're answering in a way that is inconsistent with what is really being asked. Um, back when people did more worksheets, if you had like mixed operations, so like if you had addition and then you had subtraction on the same page, like it would be hard for kids. I guess you could say that's mental flexibility too, but I really think for ADHD, it would be like, you don't notice that, wait, oh, this is actually a subtraction problem. Even though I just did two addition problems, now we're doing subtraction. And by the way, I, like, barely read the instructions at the top. Yeah, um, that's totally me. I had to redo my, um, what is it, the SATs? I had to redo them, like, four times because I skipped a couple problems without knowing it when you fill in the bubbles. And this is before they had computer sheets, right? So, like... And then Um, mm -hmm. I got to the end and realized I was one off or whatever it was. So I had to go back and just erase them all by one. Um, Uh And I did that like three times. Oh, my gosh. Did you have testing accommodations? No. Because as a person with a diagnosis of ADHD, you would... I didn't have um, it in high school. I didn't get it until after college. Oh, okay. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you have ADHD, you can get testing accommodations. Um, through Section 504 of the Americans with Disabilities Act. So, mm-hmm. um, so, and actually that brings up an interesting point, which is sometimes you have people who malinger, um, meaning they pr- on purpose try to present as if they are impaired when they are not in an effort to get like extended time mm-hmm. on college entrance exams. Mm-hmm. And when, and actually I believe, I think it's 30% of, college students who are evaluated for ADHD 
are malingering because wow. they want, well, they want the medicine. Yeah. Right. And so you have, there are ways to kind of figure out that I'm not going to obviously disclose because that would be like disclosing testing information. That's really like trade secret and important to kind of keep secret. But there are ways that you address that and kind of try to solve for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So like as an adult, I kind of think, of, I think this would look like you didn't read all of, you didn't read all the lines in the email. Like, do you know what I mean? You miss like sentences in the email and then somebody like, didn't you read X, Y, Z? Um, for that reason, if I have like a bunch of things to say, I try to put things in bullet points because mm. I feel like it works a little bit. And I try to like have my paragraphs broken up. Um, okay. So we just talked about attention to detail, difficulty sustaining attention and tasks or play activities. So remaining focused during lectures, conversations or lengthy reading. So like some people have difficulty focusing attention and that's like actually getting started and really starting to look at what you're doing. Some people have difficulty with, with maintaining that focus. And so there's actually, um, there's something called the Pomodoro technique, which works really well for people like that, where you are like, okay, I set a timer and it's, I think it's supposed to be 45, 50 minutes, you study 10 minutes, you walk around. Or like, if you're at work, it's like 50 minutes, you do the, the content of your job, 10 minutes, you do emails. But I break that up depending on the person. Like if, if a person needs to do like, you know, um, 20 minutes and 10 minutes for studying some people, that's what they need. And so I kind of like play with that a little bit, but you set a timer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So sustaining attention. And a lot of times that's because they're either distracted by something they're thinking about, you know, something going on in the brain or they're extracted by external stimuli. So like literally squirrel. Did I tell you about the kid? I have, Oh, actually. Okay. So we had a mutual client once who you saw. And when I evaluated that client for ADHD, literally we were in the middle of, I can't remember which test it was. It was one of the cog tests, I think. And there was a squirrel running around the ledge and he said squirrel. And it was like the funniest (laughs) thing. (laughs) You're like, and that's all I need. I'll just put a check on the yes side for this one. Um, I think that went in my testing observations in the report. Um, Okay, so sustaining attention, not seem, not seeming to listen when spoken to directly. Um, and so, like, kids, a lot of times, or adults with ADHD are really good at, they have, like, kind of these compensatory skills for trying to look like they were paying attention or when they're asked, like, trying to recover um, and, like, pretend that they were listening mm. to what the other person was saying. Do you know anything mm-hmm. about that? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. So, and a lot of times you have to like repeat directions for them, uh, does not follow through on instructions and fails to finish schoolwork, chores or duties. Some of it's like you start the task, right? But then you lose your focus or you're like, Oh wait, but actually what I like, if you're cleaning your room, you're and you, like, get started on it. Right. And then you see like a bunch of your pictures that are on the floor and you're like, Oh wait, but what I really want to do is arrange those. So then you go do that because that's way more interesting and more motivating, right. And stimulating, Um, yeah. So, and, and some of this is like, some of these symptoms kind of overlap. So another way that you would look at that would be like goal directed persistence. Like, can you stay focused on a particular task? Can you like kind of monitor yourself so that you realize you're losing focus? Can you persist with something that's boring? Um, and can you sort of like re-engage when you need to? Um, and so that's actually a really um, it's, it's actually something that's pretty central to the inattentive subtype. Um, difficulty organizing tasks and act. There's a lot of words here. Um, difficulty organizing tasks and activities. Um, so like, like, what would that look like? Yeah. So it would be like the kid whose desk is like completely messy and they have no, I mean, a lot of kids' desks are really messy. So, I mean, you have to like think about again, what's developmentally appropriate, but it's like the kid who has a super messy desk and they're like, now kids kind of sit at tables more in in school but like they can never find the thing they're looking for if you're like um if you're in middle school you have like the locker that is like filled up with papers and or a backpack that's just like all the assignments that you forgot to turn in they're at the bottom of that backpack mm-hmm. with the broken glass collection i told you about the <laughs> i told you about the broken glass collection i don't think so wait what's that now you have to say it 
oh, maybe I told this to somebody else. Okay, so we're getting off task. I just want to like honor the irony of the fact that I'm getting distracted and going down a different rabbit hole. Like my son, remember I told you that he was like, I found this glass in his pocket. This is like when he was five. And I was like, hey, why do you have this broken bottle? And he was like, oh, that's for my broken glass collection. And I was like, why do you have a broken glass collection? And he was like, I'm making arrowheads. And I'm like, well, we, and I was like, you can't, we can't keep broken shards of bottles that you pick up on the playground at school. And um, like we had to throw those away. It's not safe. I'm like, well, where do you keep your broken glass collection? He kept it at the bottom of his backpack. <laughs> so he just reached in and you get like, cut. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know I told you that story. <laughs> no, that is ridiculous. It was it's very really funny. funny it's like one of my, it's one of my favorite stories. Um, which him. one the oldest or youngest? yeah the oldest the one with ADHD yeah. actually yeah um yeah so that was from that's anyway that's the the reference to the broken glass collection so yeah so things would be like at the bottom of your backpack they'd be like binders that have like can you think about like binders with like folders in them and there's like all these assignments that are in the wrong folder and oh some god of that, this again, is like so me Claire I can't even like <laughs> This is ridiculous. I used to have, um, a, like in high school, I had one binder that was, and I wrote my name all over it because I would leave it everywhere I went. So at least when I left it there, people would be like, oh, it's Natalie's binder because it would have my name like 50 times on it. And I only had, I had a very small class. There's like 42 kids in my graduating class. There's only like 200 kids in my whole school. So people knew who I was because I left my binder every, everywhere I went. But it would be like, and I wrote on it, like, this is my life. Please return to me. Like, I know I left it here. Like, this is my locker number. Like, please put it outside of it. Like, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So you had some good strategies, though. I mean, like, what you were doing was you were working, I and mean, I wouldn't really call it an environmental modification, but you were in advance anticipating that this could happen. And so you had, like, a whole system in place. Sometimes, and especially for adults, that's the kind of stuff you have to do because it's really hard. Yeah to teach some of the skills. Um, okay. So yes, yeah, so, I mean, and like, here's the thing, like I would say there's a lot of middle school boys and girls too, but I really think about like middle school boys, like that, you know, the binder with like the papers and the wrong folder could describe most any middle school boy. So you have to think like, is this a high school boy? Is this like a senior in high school? That's different. Right. Yeah. Um, and or like, at, like what in- point does it cause a dysfunction? Right. Like they're failing. They do their, a lot of kids like do this assignments and then they forget to turn it in. Right. Or like at what point do I think about confidence, right? Like what point is it impacting their own self-worth? Yeah. Right. Which, um, is a lot of the time. I mean, like ADHD, I think really does impact people's self, their feelings of Mm self-worth. Um, okay. So we did organizing tasks. So there's also like, um, organizing, like thoughts, thinking about what you're going to say and when you're going to say it. And if you think about writing, writing involves a lot of organization. Um, And so like a really great way to organize your thoughts is an outline. And I freaking hate outlines because they're so hard to do for me because it's hard for me to organize my thoughts, but they're necessary. And so a lot of times outlines for people with ADHD, like they don't want to do that. I hate outlines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. It's like so annoying. I would did, do anything else but an outline. <laughs> Me too. I wrote my dissertation mostly <laughs> without an outline because I don't know how I wrote a dissertation. <laughs> let, me, let me back up. I don't know how I wrote a dissertation or a master's thesis. I don't. I don't know how I did it because I, I, like it's hard for me to organize my thoughts and ideas. Um, and so now, of course, like one really great thing is like outline is sort of very 1990s right um or early 2000s now there's all these apps that help you keep track of your thoughts and ideas um and there's actually things called thinking maps that essentially help you formulate ideas about something you've just read and that can be something that bridges the the deficits that often come with writing um for people with ADHD that I mean and that would only be organization of thoughts and ideas that wouldn't be like the working memory or all like the penmanship, all the other things that come with writing that make it difficult to write if you uh, have ADHD. And not everybody with ADHD has a hard time with writing, but a lot of people do. And handwriting is like notoriously messy. 
for people with ADHD. Um, okay, so so thoughts, uh, dislikes, is reluctant or avoids engaging in tasks that require sustained mental effort. And I kind of talked about that earlier, like that goal-directed persistence. Um, writing an outline. Um, I mean, I think, I'm trying to think of like, what would be the worst thing I could think of? Writing an outline might be the worst Writing thing. an outline would probably be the worst thing. Yeah. Because if, if I was like, okay, you have to go move, like you have to go stack wood. Okay, that's like, it involves effort, but there's a lot of motor like piece to that that is really regulating. Like I love stacking wood. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's a very boring task, but I really like it. Um, so, yeah. so I think, I think that, um, yeah, writing an outline is about the worst one I can think of. Okay. So, um, losing things necessary for task or activities, for example, binders, um, phones, people lose oh, phones my a gosh. lot now. Yeah. I need to really have my husband listen to this episode because this is like me in a nutshell and he just like doesn't get it. I have, oh. he got, he bought me, um, those little earbud things, which I'm not mm -hmm. wearing because I lost them like a week Sorry. later. <laughs> I had one for a while and then now I have zero. <laughs> <laughs> Do you always get like the phone insurance? Like in case you lose stuff? Yes. I, that's he really does. smart. Yeah. Because he knows all of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So loses things, keys, tell like keys are a big one, paperwork, glasses. I know my dad, I remember my dad, like he could never find his checkbook and he could never find his glasses. My dad has ADHD, yeah. undiagnosed ADHD. And I just remember like, he was always losing those things growing up. Um, okay. Distracted by extraneous stimuli, like a squirrel. Um, and so that could also be like unrelated thoughts. It doesn't have to be just like something external it could be something that you start thinking about like maybe you're thinking about the video game that you're going to play when you get home and then you think about like why you like that video game or how that's better than this other one and then that reminds you about this other video game that like maybe you'd like to ask for for your birthday and then like what am I doing for my birthday what should I do for my party like, I mean you can just see like how it kind of yeah. snowballs out of control so forgetful in daily activities so forgetting to do chores running errands um returning calls, paying bills, keeping appointments. Um, and like my kids have super low tech, like just, um, this dry erase sleeve with a checkoff sheet that I've printed out for them with all the things they have to do every day. Cause I'm trying to like build their executive functioning skills. Um, just sort of like in all these little small ways, which is how I think you do build executive functioning skills, but phones are great for reminders. So you can do like a you can do a place reminder, like when you get to a place, like if you get to a certain intersection and that's by King Supers, although you probably don't have King Supers in Vermont. Huh? So you can't go to King Supers anymore. Okay. Correct. Piggly Wiggly? Oh gosh, no. Kroger's? We have um, Shaw's. Okay. Is that even a thing? And um, I'm kind of blanking, so that's, that's okay. kind of it for major grocery stores. Yeah. Okay, so let's say you have to go to Shaw's, right? Right. Yeah, got it. Roger. Okay. And then you're you're like, I'm probably gonna forget because my husband told me I needed to pick up milk on the way home. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna forget that. Okay, but is this part of like the, my resistance to making lists? I hate lists. He like. It insists, my husband insists that I have lists going to the grocery store, and I'm like, it drives me crazy. But then, of course, I can't, I get there and I can't remember anything. Okay, so I have a solution for you. Possible solution. Maybe not. And I'll get to that in a second. But let's say you forget to actually go to the grocery store, right? Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, you forget that stuff. And you're like, he just told me I wasn't planning to go. This is like a last minute change to my plans. I don't even know when my appointment's going to be over, so I can't even set an alarm because, like, what if I'm home by the time I guess, you know, with the alarm going off, right? Like, maybe I, I estimate incorrectly. So you can do a place alarm. Like, so when you mm -hmm. get to a certain intersection and it's by Shaw's, then it goes off. And it's like, hey, then uh, remember to go get your milk. And you call it, like, yeah. the milk alarm. So oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And, and you can do time ones, too. And I like Google Keep for lists because you can just keep it, like, and you can add the stuff. And he can add stuff. And if he's, like... If you hate lists, he can, like, make the list and share it with you on your phone. And then you have it. 
and then you can just check it off as mm. you go. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So that is, let's see. So that was six of those, right? Six or more. Um, and that was the primarily inattentive um, criteria. And so there's this guy and he's kind of like the guy in um, ADHD. His name's Dr. Russell Barkley. And he is um, like the expert, the like leading expert on ADHD. Some people might disagree with me, but I, I would say I, I think he he seems to study things in a way that's like very evidence-based and very, it's, um, and he has like a lot of books that he writes for the, that are academic and also, you know, just for people with ADHD or executive functioning problems. And he really talks about um, these inattentive symptoms as really being like the executive problems. Um, and so anyway, just with executive functioning, which I did an interview on executive functioning while you've been in Vermont. So if you don't know what that is, that's playing tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Hyper, okay. So hyperactivity and impulsivity. Um, so you have to, again, six or more. Um, and then they have, they persist for at least six months and it's a degree that's inconsistent with developmental level. Um, and it negatively impacts, um, social, academic, occupational activities. And, um, for anybody who is 17 and older, it's five symptoms instead of six. Um, okay. So Often fidgets or taps with hands or feet or squirms in seat. Um, so, yeah, that's like the fidgetiness, right? Leaving seat in situations when remaining seating is expected. Um, leaving their place in the classroom, in the office, um, or in other situations that require remaining in place. I think about, like, um, some of the kids I've had who, you know, they're in high school and they're in these really long classes. And mm -hmm. um, they have they have to get up and go wander the halls or go to the bathroom because sometimes like depending on the kind of block you have in high school, um, you can have classes that are longer than an hour. And so right. that's something to think about. Like if you are, um, if you're in college and you're scheduling something or depending mm -hmm. on like as an adult is like, think about how long you can actually stay seated. Um, I think or about that even if you need to do something, contact the teacher beforehand and be like, look, I know I can attend for this much. Is there a planned break or is there like a, yeah. a period of time where you could signal to me where I can like kind of go out for a few minutes and come back. Um, Great idea. Because I, th I think that a lot of professors would be open to that if you requested it. Yeah. Unless it was like a lecture hall with like 300 people, then they probably right. couldn't like, they probably couldn't right. signal to you, but they, you know, um, you, a lot of times you can get stuff like you can have lectures recorded. There's a lot of ways mm -hmm. around that. Um, okay. So runs about or climbs in situations where it's inappropriate. Um, and so with adolescents or adults, it would be limit. It would be feeling restless, um, unable to play or engage in leisure activities quietly is often on the go acting as if driven by a motor. Um, the, the next one is very, it's like three words often talks excessively. Mm. And I think like, I, I remember when, I was thinking about like my son who was four at the time, like whether or not he truly had ADHD. It was like, I got to that one and I just like, I'm like, yes. Right. Like I forgot about that symptom. Yes. And, and actually the thing that's really interesting about that is so there's motor hyperactivity, right. Where you're like, you know, fidgeting or you're wiggling or you need to walk. And then there's verbal hyperactivity. So that's mm -hmm. actually considered a form of hyperactivity. It's just that you're using your mouth. Because mm -hmm. if you think about that, that's very stimulating, right? Um, blurting out an answer before a question has been completed. Me. Um, I, I start with that one. Interrupting um, or intruding on others, butting into conversations. Um, difficulty waiting his or her turn. So waiting in line. One of the things I always ask is, how do you do in traffic? And everybody's like, oh, my God, I hate traffic. And I hate traffic. It's I hate terrible. traffic, too. I actually will not take a job if I have to sit in traffic. Like, I, that's how much I hate traffic. It drives me to have to sit there. I would rather drive on a highway, like, 60 miles out of my way yes. than sit in traffic. Yes, me too. Totally. Um, I don't mind a long commute if I'm, like, driving the whole time. And Exactly. Me neither. Yeah. And I think that there's actually like a couple things. So part of that is that difficulty, like that impulsivity, right? It's hard to wait your turn. Um, mm -hmm. And also like you're sitting, right? So then you're not really getting as much movement. But I think the other part is like you, if it's stop and go traffic, you have to like 
it, it, you're sitting there and as a, you know, if you're a person who has a hard time sustaining attention, you're drifting off. Like you're not thinking about stuff. Right. And then wait, now I have to focus. And then I like have to drive like, you know, two feet forward and now I'm going to start yeah. drifting off. And then like, you know, you might have people honking at you because there's like three car lengths ahead of you that are not filled. Or you have people cutting in front of you because they're like, oh, there's a space. Um, yeah. So I feel like that kind of loads a little like the inattentive piece kind of loads onto that. Um, uh, the traffic part too. I actually got in a car accident that way. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. Do mm-hmm. I was like hungry and there was a can of fruit and I was in stop and go traffic in South Denver and I bent over. Okay. I didn't like bend over. I like reached over to grab, um, the can of fruit and I set it inside the cup holder. And I was like, that fits perfectly. I have to remember that from now on. And then I rear-ended somebody and told the car. So it didn't matter. Like it was not, it was never a useful thing to remember. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's funny. Yeah. That's why, I mean, after that, I was like, I knew I shouldn't be in traffic. Like I just can't really do it very well. So I just like, I acknowledge that I'm not good at that. Um, Right. So you have to have um, several of these, the inattentive or hyperactive, they symptoms have to have been present before age 12. Um, so before it used to be age seven, now they say age 12, um, they have to be in two or more settings and you always want to verify with somebody else because people with ADHD notoriously have a positive, they call it a positive illusory bias where they overestimate their ability to handle something or they overest, like they, they over, they underestimate <laughs> how much this is impacting their life. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So so you need to have like for for adults a lot of times you know you have to talk to somebody who knew them you know when they were growing up as well as the adult and then you also have to talk to somebody else in that adult's life so and it needs so that's two or more settings um and so they have to impact you well actually that's two or more reports but you would have to have it in like work and at home Mm -hmm. um and they're not due to other, like, you, they're not due to something else. So you have to rule out other things. Um, and then, so you do a combined presentation, pre- predominantly inattentive presentation, or predominantly hyperactive impulsive. Um, and then you, there's a specifier for mild, moderate, or severe. So that's ADHD. But I actually want to talk, I'll talk about, I'm going to, like, bring something up that I will talk about on a different episode, because I think it's really interesting. So there is emerging research of something that now is called sluggish cognitive tempo, but that Russell Barkley is like, that's a bad word for it or bad term for it. Let's call it concentration deficit disorder. And so then you're like, Mm -hmm. how is that different than ADD? Well, it is, it is actually. So, so truly there are two subtypes of ADHD and truly there is this whole separate diagnosis and it actually even they it lights up in a different part of the brain and when they do like these um symptom checklists or like when they're like kind of doing I guess it would be like factor cluster analysis or factor analysis statistically the symptoms are different than ones of ADHD and there's like not much executive functioning impact but I'll talk about that more another time um Mm -hmm. but it's really interesting I like, I'm very interested in this because I keep thinking of kids who are like low tone and mm. kind of have a like, cause think about these kids, they're like daydreamy kids. And there's actually mm-hmm. two subtypes of sluggish cognitive tempo. One is like more daydreamy. And I just think of these kids who are just like not alert. Um, so, and there's some, yeah. really, anyway, there's some really interesting things with that. So it's now I'm interesting this- too, to, to, if you don't mind me jumping in, sure. to think of, um, you know, from an occupational therapy point of view and a sensory processing point of view, like kids who are sluggish and generally kind of fluctuate between this very difficult to motivate kid and then this tornado kid. So like when they do move, it's very hyperactive, but when they kind of get out of that, it's very like hard to motivate. Um, That to me is that like we uh, sort of talked about is that lower brainstem sensory processing deficit that results in a low arousal, you know, problem where that child needs basically more histamine into the brain. Now, I think that there's a lot of nuances with it, like thinking of myself, like I do a lot of 
um, kind of like regulation techniques to help in terms of my lower brain stem, just even unconsciously. However, I think that going up into the midbrain, like if you have difficulties, and we talked about this before in a previous episode as well, if you have difficulties with processing uh, in the midbrain in terms of the ability to discriminate, you can also that can also result in inattentiveness in terms of especially if this thing is hard for me, then mm-hmm. I will not attend to it or I'm going to avoid it. So for me, like lists are very difficult for me. And that's not necessarily to say that I can't just attend to it. If I have to, I can, but I do not like them. And so I avoid them. Um, so I think it's, it's nice to point out maybe that there's, you know, that there's like some overlap, like, yes, you know, you can fall into one diagnosis, but in terms of how you're approaching it, um, you know, my tendency at least is still to kind of approach it from a holistic point of view in terms of, okay, what's happening in the brain in terms of processing that would make it, that would result in these specific behaviors. And like, I think that brings up a really interesting point. So to me, what you're describing is somebody with ADHD combined subtype. It wouldn't be describing somebody with sluggish cognitive tempo because just the way that that presents, you wouldn't be alternating the way you're describing. Or are you describing something totally different, right? But it looks like ADHD. So Mm -hmm. we know like ADHD, I mean, like, it's not like it's just this it's not something that we're just measuring statistically as a construct. Like we, we know that there's deficits in dopamine in the prefrontal cortex and there's deficits in um, norepinephrine. And so when you medicate for dopamine, which is, you know, stimulants, um, that's why they work, right? And if you medicate for norepinephrine, it works. I mean, for some kids, um, I think that's adamoxetine or stratera is it, um, the, norepin- the one that targets norepinephrine. So, I mean, mm-hmm. like we know, okay, prefrontal cortex and, and very particular areas of the prefrontal cortex. And we know it has to do with like dopamine, the dopamine system and norepinephrine. Um, and so, and there is some beginning suggestion that it, there's uh, the nucleus accumbens and there's the reward system, that there's like deficits in the reward system too for ADHD. But those those are different, right? Like those aren't the things that you're talking about. And so that's interesting because it's like, well, how do they all tie together? You know? Right. I don't know. And I just think that, I mean, one of my questions was going to be to you, like, what is the benefit of an ADD or an ADHD diagnosis then? Like if I'm a parent and I'm like, yes, my chuggle, my child, my chuggle, my child struggles with these six things or these five things. And so now what's the benefit? There's a lot of, sorry, I interrupted you. That's one of my ADHD symptoms. Go ahead. (laughs) No, that's it. I'm just like, like, what's the benefit? Like, I understand that you would probably get that child would probably get, um, additional services in school and maybe, you know, medication. However, I've also seen a lot of clients in my practice who have been put on stimulants for, excuse me, an ADHD diagnosis. And then, it turns out that it's actually more anxiety related. And so then they're put on the stimulant and it makes yeah. their anxiety worse and then things get worse. So I have a comment on that. So um, my kids both see a really amazing psychiatrist. And when he, when we were talking about um, ADHD and like medicating for that, right? Like I have a son with complex trauma. He also has ADHD. But if you give him a stimulant, that's really going to impact his anxiety. And so you have to medicate differently. So he's right. he's going to look at something like guanfacine, like my, my son's on guanfacine, and then atomoxetine, which is stratera, right? So that's the nor- the, mm-hmm. that's the targeting the norepinephrine. Um, and then, but he, one thing I didn't realize, so my son was already on stratera before we started seeing the psychiatrist. And he's like, well, it has to be at a particular level before it's even effective. He's like, he was at such a low level, it's not going to be effective. And so he's, I really like, I mean, okay, so he talks in a way that is like way beyond my comprehension. So um, I, but I still really like listening to the things he has to say, because Mm -hmm. it makes, he thinks about things kind of like what's, he's not like, okay, this is ADHD. And then this is oppositional defiant disorder. He's like, okay, we have this history there's trauma, there's this, there's this, what's going on in the brain? What do we need to calm, right? What do, what needs to be alert? 
And he also thinks about like, so my son did neurofeedback, which is um, a really, well, so some people say there's not evidence, but I've read like a meta-analysis and I've seen a lot of evidence supporting neurofeedback. I think it just has to be done well. So he did, he did neurofeedback. And one of the things he was talking about with me is like, well, we want to medicate him in a way where it won't impact neurofeedback. So neurofeedback, won't, like, which is about like the ratio of certain kind of brain waves in different parts of the brain. So mm-hmm. if, you ha- if you're on a medication that like certain medications can impact the effectiveness of that neurofeedback. Right. And the neurofeedback is something that you should just have to do one time. Well, you do it like you maybe you do it 40 times, but it's like one it's like one, it's like one round of 40 sessions, right? You don't have to do, go back and do it again. So, um, whereas like ADHD meds are just going to alter how you're doing in the here and now, the way, the way I think about it is, so my long way of saying all that is I think you have to have a good doctor. I think you Mm -hmm. have to have somebody who's thoughtful and really thinking about like, okay, beyond just like checking criteria for a diagnosis, what is the history of this kid and what is going on and what are some other things like what, what are the side effects of this med and how might that impact this kid? Did we rule out anxiety? Like, obviously you can have ADHD and anxiety, but obviously somebody didn't rule out a bunch of stuff. Um, Yeah. I also think that just going along with that point, like as a parent too, um, you can have a child who shows inattentive symptoms and, from a very primary level too, it could be related to how your that body is reacting to um, how it's breaking down a food, perhaps and causing more inflammation. And that could also be impacting how the brain processes information. So even from even like a more primary level, there's a lot of other factors too that can kind of go into, um, you know, like how that child presents. And I, and I never think it's just one thing So I Mm -hmm. think that if, from a parent standpoint, if you go to someone and they're like, oh yes, it's just ADHD, but your child, for example, was like adopted. And so you know that they most likely have some other secondary issue that, you know, depending on the age of adoption, et cetera, um, you know, that's going on, or you don't know the history of what happened when the mom was pregnant, that kind of thing. Um, I think there can be a lot of other like primary factors that can then present in different ways in that child. So I yeah. don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. And I actually kind of think um, along those lines, like going back to what we talked about a few episodes ago, when you were talking about like your intervention and what you would do in terms of um, brainstem work, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I talked about like, so when would we refer a kid for, you know, talking to a psychiatrist. And it doesn't mean we're referring them for medication. It means you're referring them to a psychiatrist who can better evaluate the effectiveness of particular types of medication. And I think you go back to like, start with the simplest things first. So, and do, don't Mm -hmm. do a bunch of stuff at once. So do your thing, right? Do your thing. And then do like a certain number of weeks of that or whatever you suggest, see how it goes. Then maybe add in, um, so some things that are, they call these complementary but not necessarily good enough to replace medication are things like omega-3s, healthy mm-hmm. diet, exercise, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. add in some of those things. Okay, now you've tried like this other stuff and maybe get some blood work done and see if there's diet stuff. Okay, so now now we've addressed this, right? See how that goes for a few weeks. And, and then, then check if they're, like, if they're a mouth breather. If yeah. it's impacting sleep, check their sleep quality. Yeah. Because like we talked about, and and so I have to be thoughtful about this because I, I didn't go to med school. So I don't want to be speaking about, well, here's what, like, in my professional opinion, I think what I can say is I've read that there are certain things that they talk about as being complementary, but not strong enough in the effect size when they're doing like, you know, random, not randomized um, experimental design, like um, when they're doing studies that they, so that they're not as effective as like medication and medication Frankly, what the data says is that medication is the most effective intervention. Now, is that true for kids who are complex? I mean, I don't know that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think you try the other things. If you feel like it's safe, I mean, what I would say if somebody was like, what would you do with your kid, right? I say, try these lower level things first. And that Mm -hmm. way you can see what impact they have. Because the thing about the medication is it's really effective. And they talk about it being something that almost like turns down the volume of the ADHD. So if it's Mm -hmm. turning down the volume, 
then you're not necessarily going to be able to see what are these other things doing. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you turn down the volume enough for things that I'm going to do that are top down, then you can actually focus long enough to learn the strategies that you need, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and like self-regulation strategies, deep breathing, starting mindfulness, doing biofeedback, doing neurofeedback, right? And so that's how I see medication as like, playing a role on like turning down the volume for ADHD, but not that it's going to be something that will permanently fix what's going on. uh, But it gives you the room you need to do the other interventions. Mm -hmm. The top down Mm -hmm. ones. Yeah. I I I agree first. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, okay. So I know we're almost at an hour, but I'm going to like give you some information that I think is really interesting. Okay. So, okay. General population ADHD risk is five to eight percent. Um, and five to eight, is that what you said? Yeah, five to eight percent. And that's true across cultures, I believe. Um, okay, and interestingly, in terms of genetic predisposition, if you have a, kids of parents with ADHD have a 57% risk of having ADHD. Um, and this is, the, this is the thing I think is really interesting. So ADHD is influenced by many genes of small effect rather than one to two genes of major effect. So it's not like there's yeah. the ADHD gene. It's the culmination of a bunch of different things, a bunch of small effect, right? Small impact. And it's that, you know, accumulation of all of that, that, you know, we see when it interacts with the environment as, as ADHD. Um, and that's what makes it complex. Um, and so, and, um, there is like in terms of environmental risk factors, so low birth weight, smoking, smoking's interesting. They, smoking was the one they used to talk about. And now they're like, well, we're not as sure as we used to be about smoking. Smoking was one exposure to secondhand smoke. Um, lead is the big one. And so lead was a bigger oh, problem. Yeah. So lead was, and lead is huge because it, ha- and this is like more of an epigenetic risk because what it does is it's like, there's a particular, oh gosh, I'm going to totally screw this up. It has to do with how the body, when it has lead, how that reacts to iron. And so Mm. like, if you have like a certain predisposition with a small effect on a gene, then you add lead and now it's affecting how that impacts iron. I I know I'm like not getting this exactly right. That's interesting though. But but it's it's complex. That's what I mean. It's not like the ADHD gene. So right. lead is huge. And, and like some people might be like, okay, well, lead, like, seriously, wasn't that like the 50s and 60s? Mm-hmm. And also Flint, Michigan now, right? Right, exactly. So you want to talk about like the like sort of um, insidious systemic racism yeah. and how it impacts like mental health? There you go. Yeah. You have people yeah. in poverty who are mostly African-American living in this area where people knew about the lead in the pipes was it in the pipes? I believe it was in the pipes. People knew about the lead problems and they didn't do what they should have done because they kind of figured, well, these people aren't really going to fight me. Right. And, yeah. or they won't know, or it's just what people are used to doing, right? Like taking advantage of different groups of people. And now you have lead exposure. <laughs> so now right. you're, now you have more kids. I mean, I, I don't know if there's been studies done showing that now there's more kids there with ADHD. I don't know how you would have, how you could truly rule out what it would have been before, but like, right. there you go. Um, yeah, totally. So, and then I talked about another time about like low omega-3 fatty acids are found in kids with, um, ADHD. So you want to increase that. Uh, I talked about a different study that talked about that. And then dyes, um, dyes have a small but reliable impact. So dyes aren't huge. If you're going to like target something, if you're like, I don't know, should I like eat dye-free food when I'm pregnant or should I not smoke? How about don't smoke? Um, because smoking is going to probably have a bigger impact. Um, but like, but dyes do play a role. I feel Um, like for my son, when he has food coloring, like he had this Italian ice the other day that was blue and mm -hmm. he like immediately afterwards was like a complete crazy man. Oh really? Just like totally out of control. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a flip switch. Yeah. And so, like, okay, so do you think that's the dye or do you, was there sugar in that? I'm always like, well, how do we rule what? He's had it a couple times, like different flavors, and that one I noticed the biggest. It's the blue switch. Yeah, weird. That's and I was like, you cannot. Because we went there today, and I was like, you cannot have this ice cream literally ever again. Yeah. Well, especially because if you have ADHD, like there's this higher your kids. Have, I mean, I just feel like he's. It just seems like he's more sensitive to everything. Yeah. 
So yeah. everything that's put into his body, his reaction is greater. Like his body like doesn't have the capacity to regulate when there's additional things put into it. This is your older son, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He's like a sensitive, complex kid, huh? Right. I like I like talking about ADHD. I think it's like I, I think almost I want to say the vast majority of my clients have ADHD and you know a lot of kids I think it's 30% of kids on the spectrum also have ADHD mm-hmm. I would say I do 30% of my kids I see on the spectrum it's way more than 30% of the kids I see on, who are on the spectrum you know of my clients who are on the spectrum way more than 30% of them have ADHD mm. um, but it's like the the general population not just like you know people who self-select to come to my office yeah um, right. yeah so I love I love working with people with ADHD. I think it's a really fun population. Yeah. So, oh, oh, another fun fact. Um, yes. Just so you know. Um, yes. So ADHD is considered a spectrum. Oh, interesting. A lot of people don't yeah. know that. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. hmm Right. And so you might have people who have, like, features of ADHD, and they don't quite meet the present, like, they don't meet um, criteria because maybe it's like they don't have enough of the symptoms to reach the threshold for diagnosis, mm-hmm. but there's like, but maybe there's definitely an impact on their life. And so there's other ways that you can diagnose that, um, that I won't go into, but, um, yeah, anyway, that's, that's the story. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, like it. Thanks. All right. So, um, the next, the next episode we record is going to be an interview and it's the school to prison pipeline, which oh, cool. I think is really interesting. Yeah, I think it's like a, this Wednesday at 11 your time is when we're recording. So cool. you can hop on Great. if you can, if you're too busy, yes. like um, slathering on like the sun tanning <laughs> oil and like your fake tanner, yes. then I will fine. be very busy doing that. But yes, <laughs> I appreciate hearing you inviting me. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, well, I'll, I'll, no, I'll try to make it. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll send you a reminder. Then I will, I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Claire. All right. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.